If you'd open your Bibles to Colossians 3, we're going to start and pick up where we left off last week. If you've been following along, or if you say, I haven't been here, but I'm familiar with Colossians, you'll know that uh, this book so far has been telling us, uh, it's been addressing some issues, it's been preparing you for some things, and it's been teaching us about Christ. One of the things that was being challenged in the Colossian church was the nature of Christ. And the Apostle Paul brings it out beautifully. He says, he says, Christ was the image of the invisible God. He said, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him in bodily form. He says that, um, uh, lest you were thinking, because there were, there were a group of people that came to this church in Colossae that thought that if you wanted to be part of their secret club, that you would uh, you know, look, know a little bit more, have this secret knowledge that the rest of them didn't have. And he says, let me tell you something. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know, everything you'd love to know, everything you want to know, everything that He needs you to know is found in Christ. Don't look anywhere else. It's in Him. If anyone tries to entice you to a different belief system and tries to get you to believe something based on what they feel, what they thought, you just know that if it takes you away from Christ, it's not worth your time. If it takes your eyes off Jesus, it's not worth it. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he says that, that part of the issue that was coming up, that part of the division that was coming up, where there were people that it says they were taking their stand, they were delighting in the worship of angels and self-abasement, uh, taking their stand on visions they had seen, not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head. And it says from the head we all grow. And it says that we're held together and supplied by joints and ligaments. So last week we talked about God being in those joints and ligaments that, that none of us were born a joint. None of us were born a ligament. We were God made us body parts in His body. The joints are when body parts come together and work together. Attached to the head, supplied by the head, supplied by uh, that grace that, that comes when we join together and work together. That's exciting. Colossians chapter 3 gets even more exciting. And we're about to start it. It it's really begins to talk about putting on that new self. We're going to talk about our identity in Christ. And that's exciting for me. I love talking about our new identity because it is a new identity. You may tell your old friends, well, don't worry, I, I, I'm not that different. I'm the same guy you used to know. The only difference is I'm going to heaven. If that's what you think, it's a sad life you're living. Because the, the very creator of the universe has chosen to indwell you, to live with not just with you, but inside you. You shouldn't be the same person. You've been reconciled to God. What Adam lost, Jesus brought back. This is not, I'm just the same person, but now I'm going to heaven. If that's your, if that's your story, that means that you're waiting to heaven to experience what God has for you. Now, there are some things that we won't experience to heaven. You know, this body is still a fleshly body. The Bible says that there will be a day when he redeems the whole the whole of us, our whole body, we'll get a new body, we'll get a heavenly body. We won't have to deal with this, world, this earth, which is currently still under a curse. Plants that die, bodies that die, we won't have to deal with that. But it doesn't mean you have to live separate from Jesus. He is with you to the end of the age, He's with you always. And here He says in Colossians, I want you to know the great mystery. Here's the mystery. So as people talk about mysteries, they want, they want to know secret mysteries. They, they buy a book that tells them 
you know, here's the, here's the mystery that everybody else in the body of Christ is missing. If they'd only hear this, their lives would change. But he says, here's the great mystery that's now being revealed. Thank God, because God is a revealer of mysteries. He says, here's the mystery that's being revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the big, it's the biggest news. It's the best news you could possibly receive. Jesus came. His name was Emmanuel, God with us. He reconciled us back to God. And the great mystery that's now been revealed through Christ to the church is that Christ is in us. He's our hope of glory. So now that he's in us, we are born again. We're new. We've been transformed. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this could also be translated, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Ephesians says we've been seated with him in heavenly places. When he says we've been raised up with Christ, he first means that when that we that we died with him on the cross and we were raised with him in resurrection. But there's also a truth there that backed up by that verse in Ephesians that lets us know that he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places, that we do have a different perspective on life. And he says now that you've been raised up with Christ, keep Seeking the things above, where Christ is. A lot of people would love to bring Jesus down to our level, but that's not what he came to do. He did come down to our level so that he could raise us to his level. Does that mean you're God? No, it doesn't mean you're God. But it means that you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, dwelling in you. That Holy Spirit came to live in you. Every believer Who's ever read their Bible will believe that statement. They may not know it, but that is, the, that is the hope of glory, Christ in us. And so here he says, therefore, if you've been raised up, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your mind on the things above. So if he tells us to keep seeking the things above and setting our mind on the things above, what's the difference? Because those sound kind of like the same thing to me. Seek the things above and set your mind on the things above. I think we could best describe this as when I say keep seeking, it's talking about how you're living your life. And when it says set your mind, it's how you're thinking. So you've got two, two ways that you're putting yourself on that different level, that you're embracing the new self, is, is you seek him with your life, you seek him with your time, you seek him with your energy, and he's not far, he's not hiding. It's not like a big game of hide and seek. Seeking him, he is ready to be found. He, he is in you. And with you, but seeking the things above means that you just go further into him, deeper into him. That's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus as it's described in Philippians. So we seek him. Uh, we, We make that effort. Our life is seeking him, but it also says set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the things above. Now this is something as believers um, that I hope you'll embrace in this chapter. He's going to tell you to put things on. He's going to tell you to set your mind. He's going to tell you to seek. If you thought that the rest of your life would be just trusting that God would puppet you into eternity, that would just sort of uh, possess you like a creepy doll in one of those horror movies, that's not the case. He still retained your free will. He's not forcing you to obey. You, thank God, your, your destiny, I mean, he has 
He has chosen a path for you. It says you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared for you beforehand. So he's already seen your future. He's prepared a future for you, but you still must be obedient to walk in it. Here he says that you've got to set your mind on the things above. You ever let your mind wander? I let my mind wander, you know. I've let my mind begin to just drift, and it's very easy to do that in our day and age, especially when we have so many distractions available, and we like to be distracted for the most part. Um, you know, it is the, it's the culture to be distracted. If you're, I mean, you watch. You put a computer in front of somebody, and you leave them alone, say, you don't have to do any more work. You just sit there. Watch them stare at that computer. See how long it takes before they check their email, before they check Facebook, before they check Twitter, before they check the news sites, before they check all these other things because our culture has trained us to be bored all the time. Um, I mean, television, I'm not against it. You can have a TV, but let me tell you, if it runs your life, it's a problem, you know, just like anything else. And it, it really, I don't know. I mean, I think what we think is excessive TV uh, watching these days might have been excessive a long time ago. You know, it's, it, it's gone past excessive now. <laughs> but let me tell you, TV does not really help you for the most part. I mean, I know there's educational programs, things like that. And I'm not telling you to throw your TV out the window. But you do have to realize that, that TV doesn't let your mind rest, but it doesn't really grow your mind either. It kind of just keeps your mind on a strange treadmill where it's not getting any stronger and it's not resting. It's just occupied. There's a lot of things that just occupy us. They don't help us. They don't let us rest, but they just occupy us. We're very prone to boredom. But you know you can snap that habit. Just like any other addiction, just like any other issue in your life, you know the grace of God is stronger, and, and He's there to help you in any circumstance, and every circumstance. And so I'm not telling you you have to throw your TV out, but I am telling you that if you can't regulate it, if you can't stop yourself, if you can't have a peaceful moment where you can hear from God, there's a big problem there. You know, I, I, I was reading a, about a, a fellow who was very successful and um, wrote some great books and things like that, but, you know, he had a chair in his house that was just for thinking. And every time he sat in that chair, he had trained his mind that every time he sat in that chair, you know, because he never did anything else in that chair, it became easy. As soon as he sat in the chair, his mind turned on to, to start thinking. Well, as a believer, you don't need to just sit there and think. You also need to just let the Spirit run the show, let your spirit run the show, and you need to set time aside to, to pray, to, to read the word, to renew your mind. I mean, this is important. This is, this is part of your walk with God. We say uh, in John 10, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he says, the sheep, that, that, that those that hear my voice, they know my voice. They're the ones that follow me. He said, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. Well, the way you know somebody's voice is by spending time with them. He says, a stranger, they simply will not follow because they don't know the stranger's voice. If you don't know the stranger's voice, you won't follow the stranger's voice. So even if you're watching a G-rated cartoon that's got no sex, no violence, no profanity, by the world standard it's harmless, if you're getting into that more than you're getting into the word, that's the worldview you'll embrace. That's the voice that influences you more than the voice of God. So regulate yourself and choose to set your mind on things above. You may think, well, I can't control what I think. I just, I just sometimes I find a hard time concentrating. Here it says, 
Remember, one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit. Which means it comes into your life when you're filled with the Spirit. As you let the Spirit run the show, it's developed in your life. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. You are not an animal anymore. Thank God. Did you know before you met Jesus, you were a slave to the lust of your flesh? You were a slave to the, 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 the vanity of your mind that you really had a hard time controlling yourself. Many of you could testify to that very fact. Do you know an animal, when an animal wants to go to the bathroom, they go to the bathroom. When an animal wants to mate with another animal, they'll do that. And the world, if you're not careful, just seems to drift towards that. Even in the music, you'll hear it. Even in the stories, you'll hear it. But thank God, when we were redeemed, we were redeemed back to the place where he created us to be, separate from the animals who are just instinct-driven, driven by what they feel driven by what they smell, what they see. We're different than that. We've been given, we were created in the image of God. We have a spirit. No other living being has a spirit. So we're not meant to be led by our flesh. We're not led to be, meant to be led by instinct or just, just animal desires and, 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 and lusts of the flesh. Thank God you have control over that. Self-control. And so he says, set your mind. You can control what you think about. Now, there might be thoughts that come into your mind. They didn't come from you. They weren't good thoughts. And you know, just as well as I do, that it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted by the, the enemy, for, tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. He did not sin in that time. But you need to react to those thoughts just the same way that Jesus did. React with the word of God. Give them no place. Don't entertain them. Don't fantasize about them. Don't let, don't let them dwell there. As the, uh, Martin Luther famously quoted, you know, he had a, ta a monk's tonsure, kind of like Friar Tuck, which looked very much like a natural nest for a bird. He said, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from making a nest in my hair. And so in the same way, as a believer, you may not be able to uh, prevent yourself from a thought, a fleeting thought coming by, but you can prevent that thought from having a home in your life. And so we set our mind, we set our mind on the things above. That requires discipline. That requires you saying, no, I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to think about that. Thank God. Thank God. You know, this is good stuff. It's not just, I'm not just telling you not to think about earthly things. I'm telling you to think about heavenly things. Because if you just spend all your time trying not to think about earthly things, you're losing the battle. Your mind, nature abhors a vacuum. You're not, your mind cannot operate just not thinking about anything. It won't work. You know, I don't care what meditation technique or what sort of, uh, you know, nice symphony music you have on the background. You just can't empty your mind of all things. I don't care what the Buddhists say. You just really can't do it. There's go you're going to be thinking about something. If you're thinking about nothing, you're at least thinking, I'm going to think nothing. I'm going to think nothing. I'm going to think nothing. And that's what you're thinking about. The best thing is not to empty it, but to fill it with the right things. Thank God. Don't empty your mind. Fill it. Renew the mind. Wash the mind with the word. Jesus doesn't want you to be a bunch of empty-headed people, just a bunch of airheads who believe in Jesus and love the world. Jesus wants you to be someone who honors the Lord. He said, worship me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. So use your mind to worship. And we renew it by the washing of the water, by the word. Here it says... In verse 3, for you have died. Uh-oh. 
that may be news to you. Hate to break it to you this way. I know this is kind of like Huck Finn, um, see, you know, Tom Sawyer seeing his own funeral. But uh, you've died. You have died. And your life, oh, I love this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you can't, I can't imagine a better way to put that, that, that our life is not found outside or near to God, but hidden right inside of Christ. That's, if you want to find us, you've got to look to Him. If you want to figure us out, you've got to look at Jesus. Our life is now hidden in Him. Everything good is hidden in Him. So why, is, why does he have to tell us we died? I mean, we just, we just read that we were raised with Christ, but we, were also were, we also died with Christ. Let me tell you, this, this is important because when you died, he made that separation from the flesh, that separation from the power of the evil one, that separation from darkness, the separation from the world, that was complete when you died. Also, your separation from your own debt you owed. The Bible says... He, he who has died, you can't, you can't pay a debt when you're dead. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're free. He said he who's died is free from sin. So here's the deal, is that when you were crucified with Christ, there was a cutting off of the old life. That was the end of that life. It's dead. When we were raised with Christ, we were attached to his life. So when I was crucified with Christ, I made a disconnection from that old way of thinking. When I was raised with Christ, I was attached to His way of thinking. When I was crucified with Christ, I, I made a separation from the, the earthly things. When I was raised with Christ, I was attached to the heavenly things. When I was crucified with Christ, I kicked out the old earthly wisdom, which James says is demonic, is natural. And when I was raised with Christ, I became a partaker of His wisdom. So isn't this awesome? They, they both had to happen. You had to die and you had to be raised. You died to the old way and you were raised to a new way. So thank God I died to the old self. And I've been permanently attached into the new life. To his wisdom, to his way, his life, his strength. When Christ, who is our life, does that describe you? Practically, does that describe you? Because the world calls that obsession. The world calls that weird. You know, your life is just, I mean, your life is just wrapped up in this stuff. And they mean that as a criticism. Like you're going to say, oops. Like they needed to have an intervention for you. Where all your old friends are gathered around in a room. And they say, we love you, but we need to sit you down and tell you some things. And some of you have had that with your families. Because you've come back and talked about it. I know many of you have had that moment. My family thinks I'm weird. They sat me down and they said, you're too serious about this. You're too weird about this. Well, what would they say? Yeah, you got oversaved, right? That's what they told my mom. You got oversaved. Hypersaved. Oh. You can't have too much of a, of a perfect thing. You know, somebody might say, well, you're going to have too much of a good thing. Because the things you can have too much of that, that are supposedly good, like a good meal, you can have too much of it because they're not exactly perfect. They're not great for you in large amounts. But when we're talking about the things of God, there's no limit. Jesus was full of the Spirit. He said he had the Spirit without measure. He was overflowing. There was no room for anything else, and he seemed to live a pretty good life, depending on what your definition of pretty good life is. So if they say, you know, this stuff is your life, they mean that to sting you. 
but we take it as a compliment. When Christ, who is our life. Yeah, that's our life. Not only meaning that your whole life is, is wrapped up in him, but also that he's a source of life to you. You know, have you ever felt drained? I felt drained before, and the best solution to being drained is to tap into that source of life. He is your life. He is your, your, he is your strength. He is your peace. He is the truth. He is the way. And so when we say he is our life, he's, he's our source of everything. This is good news. When he's, he who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, okay, so because of what you just heard, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Now you say, I thought passion was a good thing. I'm passionate about Jesus. That's not the kind of passion he's talking about. He's talking about that I can't control myself. This is just what I need to do. This is what I feel like to do. All the attraction was so strong. I know in hindsight I should never have done it, but I had to do it. Oh, I couldn't stop drinking. Oh, I couldn't stop kissing. Oh, I I mean, all of that. You're dead to that. Dead to that. Passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Why? Because you're putting something where God should be. Bible says, warn them not to desire. It says, those that desire to be rich, they make that their goal in life, will fall into all sorts of snares and wound themselves with many wounds. So greed is idolatry. Stay away. Make Jesus your goal. Make him your life. Don't chase anything else. Of course, he says, if you, if you chase him, all those other things will be added unto you. Don't ever make them the goal. Don't make them the hope. Don't make them your trust. Chapter... Chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked. You notice it's firmly in the past. You used to walk in these things. When you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Who is he telling to put it aside? me to put it aside put it aside put anger aside wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices you see that these things belong with your old self but they don't belong with your new life they don't fit you anymore these clothes don't fit anymore Ephesians says pretty much the same thing and if you'll recall a few services ago we actually read it Remember in Ephesians, he says, this is, this is what the way you used to be. This is the way people in darkness act, but that's not you anymore. You're a saint. You're a child of light. He says these things, this kind of speech, this kind of gossip, this kind of um, silly talk, coarse jesting, in Ephesians it says, it says these things don't fit you anymore. They are not fitting among saints. You know what it means? It's not authentic. You know, a lot of people may tell you in order to be authentic, you need to throw in some of this stuff. In order to be authentic, perhaps you need to to be a little bit rough with your language just to reach the right people. But I'm going to tell you, that's not authentic if that's not who you are. That's fake. Because that's not who you are anymore. You're a saint now. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This stuff doesn't fit you anymore. This is your old self. You're not part of that world anymore. You're a child of light now. So if you want to be authentic, 
as a child of light, walk as children of light. You want to be, as Galatians says, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, we are children of light. He says, you are light, therefore walk as children of light. You want to be authentic, realize that your identity has already changed. You're not working to be a new person. You are a new person. Let your life match that. He says in verse 10, You've put on the new self. So look, look what he said. You've laid aside the old self with its practices. So all that stuff belongs with the old self. And you have to lay that all aside. You have to take it off. You have to keep it off. Just lay, lay it aside. It's not you anymore. Now put on the new self. Scripture says this a lot of times. It says put on the new self. Put on the full armor of God. Put on Christ. Adorn your doctrine. Almost every book in the New Testament, every every letter in the New Testament, says at one point you've got to put some, you've got to take something off, and you've got to put something on. This is what you're meant to be put on. Put on that new self, who is being renewed. It's being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. You're being renewed and starting to look like Jesus himself. Your new self, the Bible says, was created in holiness. It was created in purity. It was created perfect. So he says, put on that new self. And let your mind be renewed. Let your life be renewed to match who you really are. It says, it's renewed according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. There's no distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no distinction between barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. You see, this is why the renewal of your mind, knowing who you are in Jesus, that's the solution to racism. It's the only solution to racism. Because as long as we're in our old self, in our old ways, in our old patterns, just like the animals, we will go back to a, a tribalism, we'll go back to a a sense of these people are like me, so these are the people I hang with. These people are like me, so these are the people I trust. You're different, so I don't really trust you. You're different, so I'll always keep my distance. But when you see who you really are, and you see that that other person who came from a totally different culture, came from a totally different background, likes different music, might be a different age, might be totally different than you, when you see that they've got that same image that you've got, you're drawn to them. Some of my best friends in life have been people that were nothing like me. But the one thing that really drew us together was Christ. We loved Jesus. And the more we grew to know him, the more we grew together. You know, I remember the church in Loon Lake. Every time we'd have a Thanksgiving meal together, every time we'd have a Christmas meal together, there'd be um, the, the people from the reserve and the people from town would get along. They'd shake hands. They'd say hi. But then they'd sit at different tables. You know, and it's not that they didn't like each other. It's just that you hang out with people that are like you. But the more, the more these same brothers and sisters began to get closer to Jesus, the more they got closer to each other. And we started having Bible studies in people's homes and, and eating together and praying together and in each other's homes, whether it was on the reserve or whether it was in the town. And you find all of a sudden when it's not a church activity, people are still getting together. They're still going out and, 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 and having a wonderful time. They're inviting each other to each other's homes. 
And the distinction starts to go away because the strongest identity in you is that identity of Christ. If you identify yourself as a married white male, age 35, then you will find other people like you who match that identity. But if you identify yourself primarily as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, son or daughter of the king, I should say, Jesus, his nature, his spirit dwelling on the inside of you, that, that is your identity. I am a, I'm a, I'm a child of God. Christ is in me and he's in my brothers, he's in my sisters. You'll be drawn to people you never expected to be drawn to. The, the coolest thing about church to me is that you see people that would never hang out on any other, any, in any other way except God brought us together. And you find that they like to hang out outside of church because now you've got that bond, that unity of the spirit. It's a wonderful thing. I believe, I always want to be in a church that's diverse in age, that's diverse in culture, diverse in class, that, that we just all draw together on the basis of who Jesus is. We're able to look around and say Christ is in all. Christ is all and Christ is in all. We've talked about this before, but these are very different groups of people. To a Greek and a Jew, already you found some big differences because th at the time the Jews were religiously superior to everybody. They just thought no one has the covenant that we have with God. But of course the mystery that's revealed earlier is that Jesus came not just to the Jews but to the, to the Gentiles as well and Christ is in us. So all of a sudden, the Jews don't have that thing to put them above everybody else. That all of a sudden, hey, I'm, I'm, you and I are brothers and sisters. The, the Greeks who thought, well, well, those poor hillbilly Jews, they're, they're really religious, but we're intellectual. <laughs> so we've got, we know things. They don't know. I ask that guy how to do some math. He can't do he, I mean, he might do some simple math. But you ask us. Or, or philosophy, you know, the, the great philosophers uh, of the ancient classical Greece were shaped the Western thought that we still think the same way that a guy like Aristotle or Socrates, he lays out these ideas and we still kind of form our ideas based on some of those. And so the Greeks were intellectually superior to everyone else. And all of a sudden he's saying, calm yourself down. Christ, our identity is not in our, in our mind, in our ability to think because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge really lie in Christ Jesus. So now you Jews, you Greeks, you get together, you hang out. Okay, we can hang out. Fine. All right, fine. That's good. We, we, we both have well-oiled, well-groomed beards. Our wives dress nice. Okay, we can do this. Then he says, now you're no different. Be, you're no different be, with uh, Jews and Greeks. They're no different. Uh, barbarian or, you know, or circumcised, uncircumcised, slave or free. And he says, you're not any different than that barbarian over there. Well, all of a sudden, you've really riled some feathers because the Greeks and the Jews were willing to get along, but now you just said the barbarians have to come to dinner, and that's just not acceptable, not at my house at least, because we have nice things, and barbarians don't know how to take care of nice things. You're saying that that barbarian could technically be my pastor someday. And I'd have to listen to what he has to say. I have to have him over to dinner, and he may belch at the table. And I'm not a, I don't like that, you know. And you're not only saying that, but you're saying that he doesn't just have to listen to me. I've, he's got something that I need to hear. Okay, all right, we can accept that. It's going to be hard, but we can accept that. Then he says barbarian and Scythian. Oh, please don't say the Scythians. Please don't bring them into it. 
Because if you knew a barbarian, a Scythian is barbarian on the extreme. They're, they're like super barbarians. They're just, if barbarians were gross, Scythians are ten times grosser. Please don't make them come over to my house. Please don't let them be a part of my church. Scythians did wonderful things. I mean, um, you know, they had gotten a touch more civilized by the time this letter was written, but they were well known for things like, if, like I've got a book by Herodotus at home who is one of, he's known as the father of modern history. He wrote that book probably 400 years before Jesus came along. And he wrote about the Scythians. He wrote about their habits. And, and you know, they, they did nice things like, hey, you need a good mug for the house. That, you know, it's one that you're going to be proud of. Make it out of a skull of one of your enemies. That's really going to impress your friends. Now, if you say, wait a second. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it won't hold any liquid. That's what you're thinking, right? Well, the Scythians had a solution for that. Just skin your, skin your enemies. Stretch the skin out over the mug. There you go. Now the mug will hold something. You say, uh-oh, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that sounds nice. But it doesn't sound fancy, right? Okay. Well, the Scythians will say, well, if we invade some people, we, we take over their house and we steal all their stuff, then, then you know what? They're probably going to have some nice stones and jewels. So I'll take that mug that I made from somebody's skull, and I'll stick some pretty stones on it, which will really class the place up, you know? This is the kind of thing you can invite the queen over. You know, look at my mug. It's, it's fancy, right? So the Scythians were, were an interesting group of people. When you're raised in the Asian steppes, um, you know, the steppes region of Asia and Russia, where the Mongols came out of, where the Parthians came out of, you tend to be rough around the edges, right? The Mongols were well known to... To make good time, you just get on your horse, and who has time to eat or drink? Let's just stop, drain a little blood from the horse, drink that, get back on, bind it up in the horse. We, we support each other. It's the circle of life. Let's just keep moving. Some people tended to be rough from that region. He says, he says, if they come to your church, there's no distinction. Once they receive Jesus, you are not better than them. He says, once you receive Jesus, once Christ is in them, you can hang out together. You should have meals together. You pray together. And if God's grace is sufficient for Apostle Paul, who said, I'm least qualified, least fit to be called an apostle, if God's grace is sufficient to make him an apostle, it can make a Scythian an apostle. It can make a barbarian pastor. And you Greeks and Jews would have to sit down and say, God anointed him to do that, so I'm going to sit here and honor him as a gift from God. Is that challenging? But what really happens is this. He's using extreme examples, but make no mistake, these are examples that were expected to happen. The gospel would be preached in all these places. So what he's saying is that the more and more you identify yourself, not by your job, not by your race, not by your class, not by whether you're rural or urban, not by where, you know, what kind of people you hang out with or how educated you are, but the more and more you identify yourself by Christ, that he's in me, he's my hope of glory, my new self, my life is hidden in him, the less and less you'll see distinction between you and another brother and sister because they're just like you. They've got Jesus on the inside, and that makes us closer than our natural family. That makes us closer than people who grew up with us on the same street, 
went to the same schools, liked the same music. We are now closer than anybody ever is in the natural because we've got a bond that's stronger than all of that, Jesus Christ. This is all about your identity, though. If I identify myself by Christ, I don't have a problem with that. But if I'm still hanging on to my old identity, then you're going to have issues. But he says, put off, lay aside the old self. Now put on that new self. He says there's no distinction. And he says, slaves, freemen, if you're a master, if you're a slave, you're not any better or you're not any worse than another person because Christ is in you. So as those who have been chosen of God, look at this, you have been chosen of God. You are holy. You are beloved. Put on. And he said, lay aside. Now he says, put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, oh, he had to finish it just as the Lord forgave you. If you'll remember, Jesus forgave you while he was on the cross. He didn't wait to cool down. Just let me get away from here for a minute. <sighs> Count to ten. Squeeze my stress ball. Get over it. Punch some rocks. No. Jesus was being crucified while he said, Father, forgive them. Jesus was being taunted while he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't even just forgive them. He asked for God to forgive them as well. That's another step, right? Because we've read the verse that says, leave room for the vengeance of God. And we say, I'll forgive you, but God won't. I forget, but he never does. The reason I'm not taking my own revenge is because I know God's is much worse. But in truth, if we want to be like Jesus, we even intercede for those that have persecuted us. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Bless them. He said, bless them. And if you know the power of the blessing of God, it's hard to do that to somebody you haven't forgiven. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't curse. He says, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever is a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So if we can't get along, it's not God's fault, it's not even the other person's fault, we got to put on love. Love does what? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love does not wait till somebody's perfect. Love embraces the people that are very imperfect and covers that and, and, and brings them up a level. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Now we've talked about the peace of Christ in your heart, talking about that peace, that shalom, you know, that, that sense of, you know, I, I'm whole, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to let these things disturb me. But really this peace that he's talking about, although that's true and that's backed up by several other places in the scripture, this peace that he speaks of is not that inner peace, it's peace with one another. Because yeah. look at the context. He says, forgive each other as you have a complaint with one another. Then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which you are indeed called in one body. So you see here the peace he's talking about. It's not just that I have peace within myself. It's that peace with one another that Jesus died to give us. And be thankful. Because you know and we talked about this a couple services ago, that the Apostle Paul, for instance, thanked God for all sorts of churches 
with people that weren't perfect, with people that probably did some stupid things. He says, I thank God every time I think of you. You don't have to be thankful for just the nice people. You don't even have to be thankful for the, for the perfect people. He says, just be thankful. Be thankful for people in your life. Be thankful for what Jesus has done. It says, if you're thankful, I imagine you'll be easier to walk in love and walk in peace. He says this, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I think if it's richly dwelling within you, there's not room for a lot of other things. I think when the word richly dwells in you, it infects every other thought. It, it, it fills every part of you. I think when it richly dwells in you, there's not a crevice, there's not a crack, there's not a corner of your life that's not filled with that word of God. Let it richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whatever you do, is there anything left out of that? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Your identity in Christ changes everything. It changes how you think. It changes how you walk. You see that all areas in your life, and it's about to talk about marriage in the next one, just in case you were curious. We'll get to that next week. Maybe not. Maybe two weeks from now. But you see what he says here. Every area of your life will be affected, will be changed when you identify with that new self. The next time you are tempted, the next time you are, you're, you're, you're just thinking, boy, would it e be easy, it would even be fun to go back into that old self just for a minute. Because this person was so rotten to me, I just want to fume for a moment. And I won't do it in front of anybody. Don't worry, Jesus. I won't do it in front of anybody. I won't put it on Facebook. I won't put it on YouTube. I'm just going to do it privately in my own room. You've got to consider yourself dead to that stuff. And realize that when Jesus died, you died with him. Yes. That guy is dead. Yes. When I was raised, I was united with him in resurrection. I was raised up with him in heavenly places. My old way of thinking died on the cross. My new way of thinking just began when I was yes. raised with Christ. I, I was united with his way of thinking. Yes. Earthly wisdom went away. Heavenly wisdom, here I come. God, allow yourself to be renewed into that new self that you remember who you are. In all things, remember who you are. Yes. You know, have you ever heard somebody tell you that? Remember who you are. Sometimes you need to be reminded, this is not who I am. And maybe your parents said, you didn't come. We're not that kind of family. You didn't come from that kind of stock. You know, there are some families that are very proud of their heritage. And they say, you know, our family, you came from good stock. We've been through all of these, these droughts and famines and wars, and we've kept standing. You have a good heritage. You come from good stock. You can, you can get through this. When I realize that my new family tree, look at Hebrews 11, that's my new family tree. Because now I'm the seed of Abraham. Now I'm the child of God. So I look at those great men and women of faith that, it says, you know, men who, who did all these things by faith, built arcs, you know, went to the promised land, did all these things by faith, killed lions. It says women who received their children back from the dead. It says men and women whom the world was not worthy of. That's my heritage. These are my people. That's my family. That's my tribe. The people of faith. Above all, I look at the author 
and the finisher of my faith. I look at the firstborn among many brethren. I look at the patriarch of the clan. I look at Jesus, and I say, that's my family. That's the stock I come from. If I encounter anything, could Jesus handle this? Yeah, he could. If I have somebody I just can't imagine how I could love, could Jesus love this person? Because whether or not you know it, Jesus doesn't just want to teach you how to love. He wants to love through you. Jesus doesn't just want to teach you how to live. He wants to live through you. He doesn't just want to give you the right words to say. He wants to be those words. He wants to be in you, speaking through you. Christ in us is that hope. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope for right now that I'm a new creation. I've got to set my mind on these things. The book of Philippians talks about those who, whose God is their bellies. You know what that means? It talks about people whose God is their bellies. What does that mean? It means they make life all about that instant gratification. They make life all about that satisfaction, just making myself feel good. It says whose God is their bellies. He says, imitate me. Don't imitate them. Stay away from them. Whose God is their bellies, whose end is destruction, who set their mind on earthly things. Did you know that even trying to do the right thing, if you're trying to do it in a natural way instead of God's way, it's still earthly. When the Israelites wanted to rightfully so get out of Egypt, their only option was to either go around that sea and get captured by the Egyptians or stay there and get slaughtered. But God had a supernatural way to get through there. It says, by faith, Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, the Israelites walked through the Red Sea as though on dry land. And it says, when the Egyptians tried to do the same thing, they were drowned. Meaning, as believers, there's God's way to do things. That's very different than everybody else's way. It's very different from everybody else's way. And when everybody else tries to do what you just did, they're not going to be able to pull it off because they don't have what you have, Christ in you. I love what he said here. Consider, consider that old self dead. Consider your members of your body dead to sin. Consider yourself alive to God. Ready, able, empowered to do whatever he anoints you to do whatever he calls you to do, whatever he sends you to do, whatever he asks you to do, you have a new self. Your old self couldn't pull it off, but your new self can. This has got to be your identity now. This has got to be your new identity. Once you identify with this, you will identify with other people who are nothing like you in the natural, but are everything like you in the, just in, on that inside. They've got Christ in them. Once we identify that way, we think different, we talk different. Don't go back to the old way. Put on the new self and keep it on. That's who you really are. You want to be authentic? The world needs authentic people. You know, they are tired of, tired of hypocrites. You say, I feel like a hypocrite when I tell them, when I, when I tell them that I, I don't do these things anymore. I feel like a hypocrite when I tell them that that's not the kind of language I do anymore. Stop feeling like a hypocrite when that's who you are now. You know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite's not somebody that falls occasionally. A hypocrite's not somebody that, that, that stumbles. A hypocrite is someone who willingly says, do this while they themselves refuse to do it. A hypocrite is someone who's saying one thing and intentionally living a different life. You're not perfect yet. 
Jesus made that new self perfect. Your life may not exactly have gotten all the wrinkles wrinkled out and all the, all the, the bumps sanded out, but that doesn't make you a hypocrite. Don't be ashamed of who you are now. You're a new person. You've been renewed. Watch what he says. and We'll close with this thought. In verse 12, he said, remember what he told you to do? He, he said all these good things you're going to do. But watch what came first. He doesn't say do all these nice things and then you'll be beloved. He doesn't say do all these things and then you'll be chosen. He says, don't, he doesn't say do all these things and then you'll be holy. He says, no, you are chosen. You are beloved. Think about what beloved means. You're greatly loved already. You are chosen. You are beloved. You are holy. Now live like it. Now let that be your drive. Let that be your guide. Let that be your identity. That's who you are. I want you to take those three words. Here's your homework. I want you to take those three words and believe them about yourself. Don't believe them because I said these things about you. Believe it because this is what the Bible just said about you. If the Word of God is, it is the Word of God. So this is what God calls you. And I want you to say them over yourself until you believe it. I am chosen. I am chosen. I'm not just working to be chosen. I am chosen. I've been chosen. I'm chosen. I'm beloved. And that one you're really going to have to really get into yourself. I am beloved. The Bible says in 1 John, we've come to know and believe. We've come to know and believe the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You have to know it and you have to believe it. And believing it sometimes the hardest part because you, you make yourself the great exception to God's love. But here he says, you have been chosen. You're holy and you're beloved. Amen. Now put on what somebody who's holy, chosen, and beloved. Put that on. What would they have? They'd be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. That's who you are now. Put it on. Those are your new clothes. Jesus paid for them. Put it on. You remember when Zechariah wrote that vision where Joshua the high priest stood before God on behalf of all of Israel, and he was dirty, and he was smelly, and Satan stood beside him and was... was just talking about all the dirty things Israel had done and condemning him and accusing him before the Lord. And an angel, God commanded an angel to say, the Lord rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Has he not been chosen of God? What did God do? He took off the dirty clothes and he put on a clean robe and he put on a clean turban on his head. You see, that's what God did for you. You came in with dirty clothes. You need to make sure those clothes stay where they belong, in the trash pile. It's not who you are anymore. Don't pick it up just because you feel like it. Don't pick it up just because your friends still live that way. Don't pick it up because that's what the world acts like. You don't need to blend into the world. We do not need camouflage to be a believer. You don't need to just blend in somehow so that they'll accept you. Be different. Bible says in Philippians, he's put you in a dark and wicked and perverse generation in whom we shine as lights in the universe. You got to be different. Don't blend and leave those clothes in the trash heap. Keep on your clean clothes and just wait. Somebody will ask, where'd you get those? 
you say, I didn't pay for them, I didn't buy them, I didn't make them, they were a free gift of God, you can have some too. Amen? Amen. Would you stand up? Chosen, holy, and beloved people. Now, if I can say that about myself, it'd probably be helpful for me to view my brothers and sisters that way too, right? (laughs) Next time you want to smack them, they are chosen, they're holy, and they're beloved. They're chosen, they're holy, and they're beloved. They may not be acting like it, but that's who they are. And I'm going to treat them like Jesus treats them. I'm going to forgive as he forgave. Amen. Thank God. Father, we thank you and we glorify you. You are great and mighty. You're bigger than us. Thank God. You're... You're bigger than our hearts, and you're bigger than, than uh, our, our problems and, and the things that we encounter that try to bring us back into an old way of living, an old way of thinking. We're not that person anymore. Thank you for your blood, which cleanses us and washes us and renewed us. Thank you for the cross, which, which put to death that immorality, which put to death the sin, which paid the price for our salvation. The complete price was paid on the cross, and thank you for rising again bringing us with you, raising us so that we could be seated in heavenly places, that our thoughts could be your thoughts, that our ways could be your ways, that our heart could be like yours, soft and compassionate, full of love. God, we ask you that you continue to further bind us together in that spirit of unity and the perfect love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I pray, God, that any time we are tempted to go back to that old way, that we'd remember who we really are that we've been chosen, we've been beloved, and we are holy by your blood, by your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. God, we are are so excited about this good news. It is good to us. It is good news. It's the precious gospel. I want you to help us, Lord, and we believe that you will. You're in us. You're working through us to spread this beautiful gospel to the ends of the earth. Help us to live out what we preach, that uh, just as you said in Titus, that that we would wear what we believe, that our lives would reflect the goodness of God, that our lights wouldn't be hidden under a bed or under a bushel, but our lights would shine on the lamppost for all to see, that they would glorify you in the day of visitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you very much.